This is the Anderson Business Advisors Podcast, the show for real estate investors, stock traders, and business owners. We help you keep more of what you earn and protect what you've built. Let's get started. Hey guys, my name is Toby Mathis and welcome to Tax Tuesday. I'm joined by none other than Jeff Webb. Howdy. And uh, we're going to try to make this one fun. This is our 200th episode of Tax Tuesday. Let's get over a little closer to you, Toby, because I like you. Uh, it's been 200 episodes. It's about time you got a little closer. Hey, uh, I have sound effects today, so I have to test one out. So it's Jeff Webb. All right, that's the best as I can do. All right, yeah. So, so you think you got a confetti? You got some. All right, so we're hitting two two hundred. So we're going to do some giveaways today. We'll talk about that in a second. Before we do that, Jeff, they like your hat. I thought it was hair for a second. I wasn't <laughs> going to say anything. I was like, "You're a redhead." Didn't know that. Yeah, congratulate. We've been doing this a long time. I was talking to Ronnie. Remember old Ronnie? Ronnie used to do these exclusive. Yeah, and I said, hey, Ronnie, we're hitting episode 200. And he's like, uh, man, how many of those that I did? And I said, we didn't. We don't, we don't count the ones that you did. It doesn't count. Sorry, nobody was there. No, um, <laughs> Endeavor's like, can't believe you made Jeff work. I didn't make him do anything. I put it on the table. It's like one of my cats. You put it on the table and somehow they get underneath it. All right. So enough of that nonsense. Let's get into the Tax Tuesday rules. You can ask your questions in the Q&A. We have a bunch of accountants on today. Dana, Dutch, Elliot, Jared, Ross, Troy, Jen, and Patty are obviously on, and Matthew, and we even have Kenny in the house. So we have a whole bunch of people there to ask you, uh, uh, answer your questions in the Q&A. If you have comments, like Paul says, Jeff is older and wiser. The older part, right in with you. <laughs> anyway, you could ask, you could put a comment in chat, ask your questions in the Q&A. And then if you have long questions or you have questions during the, the weeks uh, when we're not doing Tax Tuesday, since we do this every other Tuesday, feel free to email them in at Tax Tuesday at Anderson Advisors. Here's the thing, though. If you come in and you start asking us to do all sorts of craziness and reviewing returns and stuff, we're going to say, great, you need to become a client. And uh, yeah, Shady, uh, Sherry, we are having a party. And it sounds like you're having a party. You got a hurricane coming down there. Yeah. See, I hope you guys are all good in the hurricane path. Let's pray for you guys. Hurricane party. Hurricanes are always good at a party, like the drink, not the storm. Yes. But watch my brother drink two hurricanes and, and then remove the hurricanes from himself. <laughs> How do you say that? Like, I just, my brother can't drink. So there we go. Uh, somebody says, now I'm now a tax nut. Play tax Tuesday like Jeopardy. Kim. I love it. We have good questions for you today. But before we do the good stuff of the questions, I want to say thank you guys for attending. And as a big thank you, we're going to give you guys a free e-version of the book, Infinity Investing. I got the physical version right here. I was even going to do a reading. And Jeff loves it when I do readings because nobody's ever heard me read Infinity Investing. So let me start right here. Copyright 2021 by Toby Mathis. All rights reserved. No part of this book may be used or keep going. <laughs> yeah, that's why nobody lets me read books, guys. You know. Anyway, everybody that's on today is a big thank you. Get a free version. So just go in and I think there's a link that Patty just sent. Here's the other thing is we're rolling out coaching on Infinity. It's not a service right now that anybody can pay for, uh, but we are going to let you guys do the coaching calls. I have four coaches that do a great job and they understand the Infinity system. And so we're going to say free coaching session. I want you guys to be the ones who get the freebie because you guys are the ones that show up and actually do the tax stuff. So somebody says, I'm beyond help. You know, nobody's beyond help. So we're going to do a free one-hour coaching call. I just call it a coaching call. I don't care if it's 15 minutes, 30 minutes, or an hour and a half. What we care about is that you get an idea, a plan. And what we're really focusing on, just so you know, is we look at your net worth, your infinity net worth, which if you don't know what that is, that's the number of days you'd survive without working. We blew through all your assets so we can get a number. If you're not at infinity, it means that we're going to burn through your stuff at some point if you live long enough. So we don't like that. We want you to actually have enough income coming in from passive sources where you don't have to worry about that. We're going to look at your income spread and we're going to talk about diversification. We use a 30-30-30-10 rule. And we're going to go through all that with you and give you some ideas to get you on a path going forward. It's a lot of fun. Uh, so if somebody says, if all the accounts are online, who's working on my tendency? Robert, no, Robert, our poor accountants. This is their break. They're like, oh, I can go on to Tax Tuesday for a second and answer a question. No, uh, we got a big old staff that's just cranking through this stuff right now. But it is tax season. It is tax season. Give it, get all the accountants some love. 
So everybody, thank you for being uh, uh, on Tax Tuesday. I'm still surprised that we have so many people join us every other Tuesday live for these events. Like I'm still like in shock. And then a lot of you guys uh, hit it really hard on YouTube and uh, and watch the recording. So I think it's a kick that people are starting to get themselves educated because uh, money, the dollar saved in taxes, the time value of that dollar is so important. When we're doing cost segregations or bonus depreciation, people never understand like, oh yeah, I'm gonna have to pay the tax anyway. And I'm like, well, dollar today is worth more than a dollar. Dollar today is worth way more than that dollar in five years. We want that dollar today, especially in this economy. So the thank you is free book. And you have a standing offer to have a free coaching call with our coaches who would love to chat with you and, uh, and, and put you on the straight and narrow. In addition, we are going to draw three lucky winners who submitted questions for today's episode. We know who you are. And uh, Jen and the whole team are going to figure out, they're going to draw it and make sure you're on live. If you're on live, you get, what do we got? You're going to get two signed copies tax-wise at Infinity Investing. Some nut job wrote these. This is actually the fourth or fifth ver- fourth version of tax-wise. I'm going to sign them. And we're going to send them your way. So at the end, we're going to pick three winners and uh, it'll be a lot of fun. So if you're a wiener, that's great. We love our winners. Winner, winner, chicken dinner is what we say here in Vegas. All right. Nobody ever admits that they lose. (laughs) Everybody broke even in Vegas. Right. Right. So the casinos built themselves on breaking even. Is there a minimum? These are the questions that we're going to go over today. We're going to go, what if you have both books already? Peter, it's easy. Now you have gifts that you can give other people. You can be like, hey, I got these for you. I really just, you know, I had I had an extra 60 bucks burning in my pocket just for you. You could hand them. They don't have to know that yet you want it. All right. So opening questions. Here we go. Is there a minimum net income where it would be beneficial for a single member LLC to file as an S-corp rather than a disregarded entity? Good question. We'll get into that. Can my rental income be directed into a self-directed IRA? And what are the advantages to doing that? I don't understand the difference between owning rentals as real estate professional rep status or as non-rep. And what, if any disadvantages, are there when buying a rental inside a solo 401k using a non-recourse loan? I guess there wouldn't be any depreciation. Good questions thus far. We will go over those. How is a land flip tax? Does land have to be held for a year like a house? What's this year thing? Everybody says a year. What is this year? Is it acceptable? For the IRS to trade futures from a 501c3 or a family foundation entity, does the entity need to pay capital gains? Good question. In other words, can you trade futures inside of a 501c3? We'll get to that. If you form an LLC for rental property, is it best to report the activity on Schedule C or E? Question mark. Great question. And it's going to surprise you. Some of you guys are all like, hey, no way you're going to put it on C. Hmm. Hmm. When is the best time to do a cost segregation study? Should I wait until after renovations or before I start fixing an investment home? Very good question. Two questions. Somebody's doing a twofer. They want to get two sets of books. No. We fix and flip luxury homes and are thinking about keeping some to rent. We have held some in the past. We have an LLC, but the accountant is saying to go to an escort. We are setting up a family trust in Florida and watch your video about Trust Wyoming. The attorney says we don't need Wyoming. Interesting. So we'll get into those. Probably. What is the best way to pay by children who actively trade in our fixed flips bookkeeping? Is there an age limit or other qualification? Must live at home. My daughter just turned 18 and is going to be attending college, but still will be helping on our properties. Good. I have a C-Corp. Do I need to somehow set the girls up as employees and set up as payroll? Great questions. Very, very fair questions. I understand anyone can gift to anyone in a year an amount not to exceed $17,000 per person. Can I gift from a family limited partnership? Units not exceeding that amount. Giving them a percentage of the LP units each year. Does annual gifting under 17000 avoid the generation skipping test? If gifted to change, uh, grandchildren, nieces, nephews, et cetera. Really good question. It gets yeah. a little complicated, but we'll break it down and make it easy. Or I should say Jeff will. <laughs> Jeff, <laughs> Jeff will. Because I just walked into this. I just walked into this party and it is a party. I just, they gave me a toy to play with. And hey, if you like this sort of stuff, or if you want to go back and watch any of the videos, go to the YouTube channel. I have a a YouTube channel. Uh, It's right there. Patty, maybe you can share out a link to it, or actually it's right here. 
There you go. You can go to ABA Link YouTube. But my partner, Clint, also has an equally awesome YouTube channel on, and he's, his focus is more asset protection. So if you love asset protection, just want a whole bunch of asset protection, go to Clint. If you like tax and some other business planning, stick with me. And uh, you could do both. They're equally free. All right, let's dive into these, Jeff. Can I, can I make a quick sales pitch on your books? Yeah. Uh, you mentioned the infinity net worth. Mm-hmm. If your infinity net worth is Thursday, you, you really need to get this book. It's Thursday. You're like, if you lose your job and you're immediately out of the street, <laughs> then we need to talk. And if you have an old version of TaxWise, you really need to get the updated version. Things change. When, when was the first uh, edition? 2001, I think. Yeah, thing, <laughs> things have changed dramatically since then. Okay, so. uh, <laughs> Just a little. So, Even now, I have to rewrite it. So you, you really want to get this and, and get an updated version. Thank God they didn't repeal the Tax Cut and Jobs Act. Oh, yeah. That have to be rewritten. Yeah, so it's going to expire here. So I have a I have an expiration date where we're going to have to rewrite it anyway. But we'd like to know what Congress is going to do first. Uh, how do we enter to win them? Well, you had to have sent in a question. And uh, Jen's going to draw your name. And if you're live, if you're on, you win. If you're not, you don't win. I think we're going to have three winners. But Mm -hmm. Eddie, everybody gets this one, Infinity Invest. Everybody gets an e-copy, I should say. You can get the PDF. We're going to send it out. And it's absolutely free. You're going to see it on, uh, what is it, Amazon. It's well-rated. It won a gold medal at a, a Global Book Award. It's not junk. This is one of those things where I steal every idea from our clients that are successful and I'm unabashed about it. I don't have a good idea in my head other than noticing what other people are doing that's working and say, hey, here's some stuff you can do. And here's the stuff that we have like about a thousand clients that year in and year out just kill it. And you just sit there and watch what they're doing. How many streams of income are they? What kind of investments are they doing? Boy, you know what? They're all doing pretty much the same thing. Let's share it. Let's teach it. Let's make sure other people are doing it because we're tax guys. You got to be making some money for us to do anything for you. Yeah. Somebody says, how do I know I'm going to get deductions and I'm going to get to write some stuff off? You got to have income. Otherwise, it doesn't matter. You know, if you're, you're not making any money, you don't need deductions. If you're making some good money, then you need those deductions. So anyway, uh, sure. <laughs> so if we're dead, you won't send it to our significant other. John, I'll send it wherever you want. We'll take care of you. All right. But if you're on live, yeah, that'd be tough. I don't know how you'd respond. We'll still send it to you with flowers. You'll be so shocked. You'll be like, oh my God, I won. Heal over. We'll still send you the books. There it is. Somebody says, thanks for the PDF, but I prefer the hard copy. It's still for sale. You can still get a PDF. And it's not that expensive. It's like 29 bucks, whatever. But Kate, we're going to give you the PDF. So you need to work really hard at being a winner. Yeah, be a, be a winner, Kate. Then you get a free, yes. Yes, Jeff, you just hit it on the head. Stop losing. That's what I go around to the casinos and I follow people and I'm like, stop doing that. That doesn't go go over too well. I can't gamble. I don't know about you. Uh, My my wife got a really nice oven mitt from the casino. I can't tell you how many thousands of dollars it costs. We had an employee win a car once. Wow. And uh, you would actually know who it is, SW. But And I was like, I sat there and I was like, that's so great. She won a car. Then I was like, oh, she must have been there. Like, over and over again to win a car. Like, I don't think it was the first time she showed up, maybe. Then I started thinking about that, going, oh my God, what are you doing gambling? Stop it. You're a numbers person. You're guaranteed to lose all your money given long enough time horizon. Come on, stop that. All right. Is there a minimum net income where it'd be beneficial for a single member LLC to file as an S corp rather than a disregarded entity? What do you say? We typically throw out the $50,000 number, but the savings on self-employment taxes could be as low as twenty thousand dollars. You're going to have to set up the S corporation. That's going to have a co- upfront cost. But all in all, you know, it, you got to kind of calculate the difference between preparing another return, the cost of that, and what you're actually saving by not being a Schedule C, a sole proprietor. So tax savings, wise, all things being equal, it's about twenty five thousand dollars, where you save about fifteen hundred bucks a year by being mm-hmm. an S corp. But you know, but the the cost is hey. I'm doing that extra tax return, right? Well, it's actually the same information that would go on a Schedule C anyway. But since it's an extra return, a lot of accountants are going to charge you for the extra return. Mm -hmm. So you got to factor that in. There are deductions under an accountable plan that you don't get as as a sole proprietor. But here's the thing. You can just change that single member LLC directly into an S-Corp from a tax perspective by filing a single document called a, a, a 2553. 
and it's one doc, boom, you're an S corp. Yay. And then you just have to, if you're taking distributions, make sure you're taking a reasonable salary. So you're going to have some payroll. And then, uh, yeah, all things like they're kind of the same. So, if, so as long as I'm saving something, then it's right around that $25,000 mark, unless you're already making a whole bunch of money, in which case then that number starts to slide down. So if I am somebody who's making $50,000 a year and I have a sole proprietorship, that's a lot different than somebody who's making $600,000 a year. And then mm-hmm. you throw that money in where it might be taxed at 37 to 50%, depending on what state they're in. Then all of a sudden the benefit starts to widen. So, you know, the easiest answer to give you guys is it depends on your situation. And there is software that we use to run the calculation and say, this is what it's going to save you on an annual basis. Now, here's the question. If it saved you a thousand dollars a year, would you do it? And that's the whole, is the juice worth the squeeze? And, uh, the other thing that I look at, and I, I'm, I tend to be a kind of a, a numbers uh, nut. I like to really stare at what happens if I do something, how the IRS treats me. The audit rate on an LLC taxes a sole proprietorship versus an LLC taxes an S corp or a traditional S corp. It's hundreds of percent different. When you get around the hundred thousand dollar mark, it's quite literally eight hundred percent higher as a sole proprietor. So you get audited more. And then what I like to look at is, hey, so if I get audited and nothing happens, I don't care. But if I get audited and lose, I care. And they you lose 94 to 95% of the time statistically, because realistically, it's really tough to be in compliance as a sole proprietor if you're not already operating like an S-Corp. Like the formalities yeah. to the IRS, there's no difference. And accountants always say, oh, you know, sole proprietors are so much easier. There's less formalities. And it's like, it's not necessarily true, guys. The, ta- the tax requirements are identical. And the tax returns, Schedule C versus the 1120S, are mm-hmm. virtually the same. You need a balance sheet on either one. You need a P&L on either one. You need to be keeping good books and records, period. They don't differentiate between those. And so what happens is a lot of people going in thinking, oh, I don't have to do all these things and separate out my accounts. And then they get blindsided when they get audited and they lose. Uh, plus, there's a lot of deductions you don't get. Like, I always use my cell phone. These cell phones aren't cheap, man, like the, the data on them. If I have my cell phone and I'm spending 200 bucks a month on my cell phone and I'm a sole proprietor, I have to differentiate between the business use and the personal use. If I am an employee of an escort because I set up as an escort, I can reimburse the whole amount. And then there's administrative office, there's using something called 280A, the August exception. And what ends up happening is you end up being better off. And Troy just says, you've been listening to me. <laughs> Troy is head of our bookkeeper. He's like, yes, I do listen to you, Troy. Uh, anything else to add, Jeff? And, and you were talking about somebody who's making a lot of money, like $600,000, $700,000. Then the juice isn't necessarily in the SE tax or say, you can pay yourself a large salary, which means you can pay your, or contribute greatly to a defined benefit plan. So this kind of opens things up uh, more. We just did this. So I, I quite literally two weeks ago had a consult with a client that was very upset. They were looking at a tax bill of around $50,000 and they had a sole proprietorship. What we were able to do is I was able to get them over to an actuary Mm -hmm. who had time to do the assumptions and we could do a DB plan. And this is not a joke, eliminate more than half of the debt, the the tax debt. And we probably could have gotten the whole thing. Um, You need to have that salary though, to make it, to make it work. So it was kind of like we were doing some finesse in 2022. Like there's still time to do some of these things. Cost sags and 401ks, the, the employer contributions, DB plans, there's still time. Uh, and boom, they, we were able to eliminate uh, well over $25,000 in tax. Uh, and now they have a bunch of money in a tax deferred vehicle that in this particular case, it's probably 25 years before they'll need a nickel of it. So it'll grow tax deferred. Yeah, and, and think about what Toby just said you're lowering your tax by putting money basically in your own pocket. Yeah. It's in your realm of control. Yeah. That's, you know what, that, that doesn't get enough airtime. I always look at it like I, so a lot of people know I use charities, I use retirement plans and I'm using vehicles to try to get reimbursement. I pay kids. It's all in your realm. That's what I look at. As long as a dollar doesn't leave your realm, I'm looking at that. And when I add up everything that's still in your realm of control Mm -hmm. and it's, usually significant, right? If we, we do a little bit of planning, that's what matters to me. And some people are like, well, it's not in my bank account, therefore. And I'm like, hold on, hold on. 
it's still within your realm of control. You didn't pass it off to a third party. So like if I, I, I've done this before. Somebody has a 401k and they have credit card debt and they have a high interest credit card, 11%, 12%, whatever, anything higher. And I'm like, borrow from your plan and pay that off. And I'm like, well, I'm still paying interest to yourself, right? It's no longer there's money going to a third party. It's all staying within that realm of influence, which is you. And I like that. Hey, we even have Kurt. I see Kurt on there. We got, okay, we got everybody coming in to help you guys. So there's a lot of questions being asked. We like that. All right. Good. Good answer, Jeff. Thank you. Got another one. Can my rental income be directed into a self-directed IRA? And what are the advantages of doing that? I wasn't sure exactly where they were going. So I'm going to, I'm going to answer both the possibilities I saw. If you're trying to sign your self-directed or your rental income into your IRA, you can do that up to the contribution amount if you have other earned income to support that. But it's still going to be rental income to you, and then you're just going to contribute it to the IRA. If you're talking about having the property in the IRA and, and moving the income that way, that is frankly impossible. You can't put any properties you already own into a, an IRA, IRA, self-directed or otherwise. Yeah, prohibited transaction. Yeah. Can't do it. You got to get it in there and got to get the money in there and then buy it in there. And then when you have a self-directed IRA, be aware of UDFI, which is financed mm-hmm. unrelated debt finance income, because you do not get that with a 401k. So I always say that because so many people still go out and buy it in the, in the IRA and get debt on it. Don't do that. No debt in an IRA. But the, the hard part here is, yeah, you can't use your rental income to put it into the IRA unless you convert it over into active ordinary income. And the only way you're going to do that is if you have another business I mean, like sometimes you have a corporation managing the thing, yeah. but then you're going to have to pay yourself a salary. And, but that might work. You know, when you crunch the numbers, you might say, Hey, that's okay. Or maybe doing a 401k, in which case, Hey, I'm getting 20, $25,000, whatever it is. And I'm able to put it into that plan and avoid my income tax on it. Then sometimes that pencils out pretty well. But if I just have rental income, I can't contribute. Correct. So you got to have that active, that earned income. All right. Good answer, Jeffro. All right. I don't understand the difference between owning rentals as a rep or as a non-rep. And what they're referring to is real estate professional. 469C7 is if you're making the majority of your money, spending over 750 hours a year as a real estate professional, you can avoid the passive activity loss rules under 469. So let's answer that. I don't understand the difference between owning rentals as a rep or as a non-rep. The big difference, if you're a real estate professional, the income you get from your rentals or the losses, more importantly, the losses you get from your rentals are not considered passive losses or considered non-passive. What does that mean? That means you can deduct them against other income. If you're not a non-rep and your properties lose $50,000 and let's just say you're making more than $150,000, sure. Because there's different ways to, right. like there's four ways. I just did three, but I said there's four <laughs> ways to avoid the passive activity loss rules. Get rid of the d- dispose of the property, get rid of it. Mm-hmm. Active participation, you can write off up to $25,000, but it phases out between $100,000 and $150,000 of adjusted gross income. There's real estate professional, yep. which makes it all non-passive. And then there's uh, real estate that qualifies as a short-term rental. that does not qualify as rental anymore. Uh, that's an exception to the rule. Um, and those are it. So when you're talking about rep or non-rep, we're just focusing on one of those exceptions. It doesn't mean another one might apply. But the the big difference, like Jeff said, is as a rep, losses are non-passive. I can use it against my W-2 income. So if I buy property and I depreciate it, let's say I do accelerated depreciation, I cost seg the property and I get a paper loss. This is non-cash loss. I didn't have to spend money on to, to deduct. I just get a deduction, non-cash deduction. So I get a paper loss, let's say of $20,000, I could go offset my W-2 income Mm -hmm. if I'm a rep. If I'm not, then that's a passive loss. It could only be used against other passive income, but I don't lose it. It flows forward. I carry it forward. So if I am in a situation where I can't use it this year, then I'll offset passive income for next year. Let's go to the next one. What, if any disadvantages are there when buying a rental inside a solo solo 401k using a non-recourse loan, I guess there wouldn't be any depreciation. You're not really in a solo 401k or any kind of retirement plan. You're not really worried about your expenses other than it's coming out of your 401k. Uh, depreciation is not really concerned. What you're really looking for is passive income. Mm-hmm. 
uh, going into your 401k and capital appreciation. Sometimes it's just, I need, I have money and I want to buy real estate and I can't buy it because I don't have any money. And I went out and I saw a course where it says, buy with no money down. Mm -hmm. And you realize that it's really tough to do is it does happen, but it's tough. And you're sitting on $200,000 sitting in a retirement plan. Sometimes it's hard to resist the temptation of saying, Hey, you know what? The stock market's giving me whiplash and it's giving me nausea. And I don't like my account going down 20% in one year. I think I'd rather have some real estate and you could buy it inside of a solo 401k. Yes. But now you don't worry about depreciation. It's in there and you're going to be paying tax on it at some point. You're going to have required minimum distributions coming out of that puppy. Even if it's giving you a partial interest in the property each year, it gets like that, that has to come out. So you, let's say you sell the property. Yeah. You don't pay any tax on it, but it's going to eventually be taxed to you as ordinary income when it comes out, but you'll be retired and you'll probably be in a lower tax bracket. So it may not be a big one, a, a big problem. But yes, you don't have any depreciation. You don't have a UDFI either. So you can have a non-recourse loan. You can't have recourse debt, but you can have non-recourse debt. Mm -hmm. So you have a loan on a property instead of 401k. It's not bad. And you know, my personal preference is I like the depreciation on my personal side, but there's probably a good, in some of the groups that I work in, there's 70, 80% of the properties that are purchased are through retirement plans. And they're diversifying themselves out. Again, Affinity Investing, one of the things we do is we do a 30-30-30-10 rule. 30, 30, 30, 10. And part of it is making sure that you're diversified. And one of those areas of diversification is real estate. So you're not all sitting there with stocks and bonds and at the mercy of what the market's doing. You want to, you want to be a little more laid out. And, uh, certainly a solo 401k qualifies. Somebody says, Hey, if you're a rep, does it increase the chances of audit? I haven't seen any data to back that up. I haven't either. And, uh, frankly, if you are a rep, just usually you're doing a cost seg and a bonus depreciation and rep. That's why people do it. And you have an engineered study. I haven't seen a single audit on those. Mm -hmm. Not in, been doing this 20 something years. You've been doing this probably 40, 33, 33 years. And how many, how many audits have you seen on real estate professionals? Almost none. And what, the, if you do get audited for real estate professional, the only thing they're going to be looking at is your hours. Uh, making sure that you qualify to be a real estate professional. They're not going to be looking at so much at your expenses and so forth, because at best, they're going to move it from rep status to mm -hmm. non-rep status. Somebody says, what do they say? Non-recourse loans? No, recourse loans. Yeah, you, can, you, you can't guarantee a loan. Yeah, you can't use your personal, you personally to benefit a retirement plan. You cross over and it becomes a uh, deal. Somebody says, option programs. Yeah. Reach out to Patty, offered passive management. Okay, so, so somebody's talking about passive management of option trading, probably because we love to do that in Infinity. I use Kevin Simpson over at Devo. You can get an ETF Devo and they do it. There's other groups, obviously, that, that are money managers that are doing it. And I, I don't say either way. I tend to be really cheap. So I go to where like an ETF is super cheap and I like Kevin, but it uh, doesn't mean we're close to other, other folks. So by all means, reach out. We'll take a look at it. How is land flip taxed? Does land have to be held for a year like a house? The heck are they talking about, Jeff? Uh, if you're flipping land, if you buy a big parcel and subdivide it, or even if you sell it as, as you originally bought it, if your intention was to flip that land, it's going to be taxed at ordinary income rates. They have one where it's like less than five subdivided, less than Correct. Five. If you don't improve the, mm -hmm. the land, and you subdivide it, you can also use the um, installment method for that. Yeah. And, and, and so what we're talking about is here, you know, when you buy something with the intent to sell it, you're a trader business. You're not an investor anymore. So you lose the ability to do installment sales. You lose the ability to do 1031 exchange. The income is always ordinary. It's not long-term, whether you held it for a year, two years, 10 years. The case, the, the seminal case on point, the guy held it for 10 years before he sold it mm -hmm. and they still classified him as a dealer and made it all ordinary income, no long-term capital gains. It has nothing to do with a year. I don't know where this year comes from. It's because accountants get kind of lazy and say, if you hold it for a year, they'll think it's a, an investment. It's right. not how it works. But if you buy land, there are some, hey, if you're only subdividing it into like three different lots and you're not doing a bunch of improvements, they won't treat you as a developer. They'll let you treat it as an investor. Outside of that exception, they're almost all, land is very hard not to be considered inventory. Yeah. When you say inventory, just think of a mini mart. 
somebody buys Cheerios and puts it on the shelf. It means you don't get a deduction for it. You're not depreciating land anyway, but it's cost of goods sold when you sell it. Mm -hmm. And then it's ordinary income when you receive the difference between that money. That's all it is. You're just not going to get long-term capital gains treatment out of it. And you're going to have an issue because you can't do installment sales on a trader business. Uh, It has to be an investment property. You can't do 1031 exchange on a trader business on inventory. It has to be an investment real estate. So just keep in mind that the land being held for a year isn't the issue. I could buy a property and somebody makes me an offer I can't refuse. I could still sell it. It's still short-term capital gain, uh, but I could still 1031 exchange it. If I can show, this is only if you're scrutinized, that when I bought it, my intent was to hold it long-term. That stuff happens all the time. Somebody says, even if you bought it with the intent to build on it, or if you bought with the intent to build on it, now you're a developer. And then you have some issues. If you know, So it always comes down to what was your long-term invent? Was it cash flow or was it to improve and sell? You buy a piece of land, takes you three years to build and sell, you're a dealer. You buy land, your intent is to hold it as a long-term investment. You buy, you build on it and you depreciate that building and you hold it for years and years and then you sell it. It's an investment. So you're good. Always the intent. All right. Is it acceptable for the IRS to trade futures from a 501c3? Just you know, the easiest way to think about 501c3 and 401ks and IRAs is they're exempt. So can you trade futures in an exempt entity? I think I just answered your question, right? Or a family foundation. Does the entity need to pay capital gains? What say you, Jeff? Yeah, no, it's not acceptable. We, we talked with our buddy Kareem, who runs a nonprofit department, and he said the IRS can pursue you for basically being a bad fiduciary. Oh, if you're doing futures? If you're doing futures, yes. So. Some things are going to consider extra risky. Well, it's not a tax issue. It's not a tax issue. It's a compliance mm-hmm. issue. If you're doing futures, so Kareem is the head of our nonprofit department. He used to work for the IRS. So we like him because he looks at things from the IRS eyes. But he's saying is it's not reasonable investment. You're not being a good fiduciary if you're trading. But if you're trading your own account, you don't care because you're not going to sue yourself. And just doing futures, though, that's not going to cause an adverse tax consequence. It's just going to be no. futures. So like I could do futures in a 401k if I wanted to. I can do futures in a 501c3. I can do futures in a IRA. But I guess the IRS could say, well, it's not the IRS, it's somebody else that could attack you saying that if you have other board members, or I, I imagine that an attorney general could say that you were not operating in a, in a fiduciary capacity if you're doing futures. I guess the answer would be, be careful. If you're trading futures inside of an exempt entity, that where they could get you is on the, uh, uh, there we go. To clarify, cannot invest in speculative investments. You must invest prudently. If you invest in futures, make sure it's a very small percentage of your assets in case you lose it all. Hey, Cream, what would be the bad part? Since Cream's out there, he's in the ethernet and he's chatting. Is the IRS, would they do anything? Or is it just, are you talking about it from a state attorney general coming in and saying, hey, you were operating this thing. You ran out of money and you, you blew through a bunch of donor money. We'll see if he responds. Type, 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 type. Type faster, Corinne. I know. He, he uses two fingers like <laughs> me. Both. So here's the answer. Unless you're a really good investor and you're really good with, with futures and you have a track record, don't do it. Here we go. Cream, you were from the IRS sometimes. I'm going to give you a hard look. If you invest a small percentage, they won't come after you. Spoken like a true IRS guy. He's just, cream. he's just trying to keep you safe. Yeah, you have the you have the green lightsaber now, not the red one. Just teasing. Cream and I are going to head down to Bogota, Colombia to watch one of our clients rock it. Did you skip one or was that my imagination? Uh, let's see. No, That's the future. You're, you're good. All right. If you form an LLC for rental property, is it best to report the activity on a Schedule C or E? It's not really a choice. Mm-hmm. If it's a long-term rental, it's going to go on Schedule E. If it's a short-term rental, it's going to depend on whether, not so much whether you're materially participating, but what kind of services you're providing. In that case, it would go on Schedule C. Could be subject to self-employment tax, but hopefully you're taking tax losses, not cash losses. If you're not providing kind of services and it's being managed by- Yes, a rental property. It's going on Schedule E. It's going on Schedule E. Yeah. Make it, it easy. Just, even the short term yeah. could end up on Schedule E. Well, you have that weird thing is when you have less than seven-day property and you're actively participating in it, you're materially participating in it, and you're significant, you're adding significant 
what is it? Significant services. Significant services. Now you have self-employment tax and that's going to go on C. Technically it could go on E. And we like to get into fights with accountants because they'll, they'll, they'll take a position that it's one or the other. And you're kind of like either one. Yeah. This was always kind of a eh, topic. And then Airbnb came along. Yeah. And blew it up. Yeah, well, Airbnb wants it on C, I think, yeah. but it could be as long as you're paying self-employment tax on it. If you are meeting those requirements, you're providing significant services, right? Otherwise, you could actually have an Airbnb and it still be passive and it's still going on E. Mm -hmm. When is the best time to do a cost segregation study? Should I wait until after renovations or before I start fixing an investment? So my answer is going to vary from what I originally thought, because I would originally have said, wait till you get the renovations done. Mm -hmm. However, there are certain renovations you don't need to wait on. And I'll go to my traditional one. I'm putting a pool in the backyard. Mm -hmm. You know, it's going to be 15 year property. You don't care about that for the cost segregation. You don't need to break that out. Mm -hmm. So go ahead and do your cost segregation. But if you're tearing out kitchens and bathrooms and stuff like that, you're, you're probably going to include that in the cost segregation. That means accumulating your invoices and giving them to the cost seg people. Yeah, it's not too difficult when you're doing improvements to property to figure out the cost seg helps because you can figure out like, let's say that I'm going to do a, a uh, renovation and I'm going to get rid of the roof. I'm going to change out the carpet. I'm going to do a bunch of that stuff. So I get a cost seg done beforehand. And now I know what the value of all those items are. So when I get rid of them, I can uh, take them out of service and write the rest off the portion that I haven't depreciated. So I get a big fat depreciation there. Now I also, because when we're doing a cost seg, we've broken the property into five, seven, 15 years and 29 uh, or 27 and a half or 39 years. Like we know which the structural property and now we know what the personal property is too. When you're doing the rehab, it's really easy to figure out on a rehab because you have invoices on what property goes where. It's yep. really, really easy. So I think a lot of folks would say, hey, uh, do the cost seg ahead of time because it's going to help you when you get rid of property because you can take the rest of that deduction right now. And a lot of people don't do that. Like if I replace my roof and I've, and I've only depreciated it for three years, I have on residential property, I have 24 years of depreciation on the roof that I get to take boom right now. Even though I'm improving and I'm putting a new roof on there, I get to got rid of the old one and do that. Somebody says, are there any cost seg companies that you recommend in Florida? Yeah, we use one. It's a CPA firm. Their, their, their headquarters is in Draper, Utah, which is near one of our offices. And they've been fantastic. Cost segregation authority, uh, Eric Oliver, uh, we can get you a very easy link so that they'll do a free analysis, but they have engineers all over the country. So they will send somebody uh, in Wisconsin too. They do them all over the country. And they have a, what, what really matters when you're doing a cost seg is the, is the engineer going in or they do a walkthrough video. So as long as they get an idea of what the property is and chances are, they, they do thousands that they'll know some of the areas. So it really comes down to it. Anyway, that's it before I start fixing an investment home. And really, I like to see it going into service. We like to see going into service. So as you fix it, you might be able to write some of that off as opposed to adding it to the uh, basis. More free stuff. We do lots of events, uh, virtual events, virtually every week. It looks like virtual. Virtually. virtually? Virtually every week. That's very descriptive. And we're doing a live event, four-day event here in Las Vegas on September 14th, 15th, 16th, and 17th. I'll be speaking at that. Uh, Troy will be there. I know Eric Dodds will be there. Jake Lemur will be there. I think I even have Shane Sams, I, I think. Uh, Clint does a bunch of the heavy lifting. Mm -hmm. Amanda Winalda will be there. Like we have a really good crew coming in to teach for four days. If you're interested in that, you can absolutely take a look. They usually sell out. I don't think this one's sold out just yet. Last year sold out in December way early. This one's uh, still, uh, I think I think we still have room, but we want to get you registered so that we know how many people are coming and make sure that we have accommodations for everybody. But the one day virtual events, they're free. Uh, for the four-day live event and a CPE, we didn't go out and get pre-certified, but you could take the agendas and get it certified after a bunch of our courses. Because I do this when I'm doing my continual my my CLEs, I submit the agendas and the slides, and they always give us uh, when it's a day. Usually, get eight hours, but you can always try that. So, like, I can't guarantee it, but but we have most of our courses have qualified at some point. We've done a bunch. 
The one that's the hardest is the realtors because sometimes they want a bunch of stuff and money ahead of time to get get qualified. We're always like, Ugh. but sometimes you can do it after. And somebody says, if we're Platinum and Infinity members, do we get a discount? I would send you over the link. I don't know off the top of my head. They try. Patty will talk to you. Jen will talk to you. We'll make sure that we're getting fair. I think we had a twofer going on. Jen, maybe you could tell me or Patty, what's the cost of the event right now if these guys are signing up? Because I don't want to click on link, so... I'll somehow probably cancel this whole event if I touch anything. I'm one of those techno guys. I'll touch it and it'll all go away. What is it, Patty? Uh, executive is $6.99 where you buy one, get one free. Premier is buy one, get one free for $5.99. And then a members is buy one, get one free for $3.99. So it's What's all in the link and check it out. What are members? Uh, What's $3.99? $3.99 is Anderson Titanium Platinum clients only. Titanium Platinum, you get $3.99. Four days, 100 bucks a day. Cover the cost of the room, maybe. No, that'll cover a cost of a gallon of coffee. Right. In Vegas, that's about what it gets. Yes, Patty Rocks. Brian says, I'm attending. So I'll see you there. It'll be the last time I went live. The last time I was at a live event, my head almost exploded. John, that is good, I think. <laughs> Don't want your head to explode, but it's a lot of fun. We get to goof off and hang out together. It's different. Like since COVID, it's just we don't get to see people face to face so much. It's always the virtual stuff, which I like the virtual stuff. It's so much cheaper to work with people. It's, it's just, it helps with the cost. But uh, what's the max attendance? I think probably around 500 is yeah. where we go. And we're usually right around that, you know, 400 mark. We don't overbook them so that we never want you to feel like you're crammed into a ballroom. It's, it's plenty of space. And frankly, we really like to be able to meet with everybody. So we, we always keep it under cue. We're not going to go crazy. But it's so much fun to get to hang out with people and get to meet them. If you've, if you've done this before, you know, if you've been to events with us, you know that we're pretty easy. I live in the same town as Clint. How can I buy him a beer? Oh, you're up there in Gig Harbor. You just tell him that you'll take him fishing. <laughs> the live events felt so comfortable. I thought I should have taken photos. You should have. Greg, uh, no more Harley rides for us. We've done Harley rides, Sherry and Don. We all, we, we all ran around here, but when we've done events, sometimes we, we hop on the bikes. I'm being, uh, I'm being good since, uh, right in front of me, somebody laid one down when my wife was on the back and she's like, stop the bike. <laughs> that was the last time she was on a motorcycle. I was like, Hey, they didn't, they didn't hurt the bike too bad. Doesn't go over well. All right. Free giveaways. Is this where we're giving it away, guys? Are we drawing it right now, or are we just telling them that we're draw that, that there's the giveaway? Because you guys get the free. Oh no! At the end, okay. At the end, we'll give it away. You do get the free Infinity Investing if you just came on. I'd see. Oh, we've had about an extra two hundred people pick up since we started. So anybody on, because this is our two hundredth episode, gets a free digital copy of Infinity Investing, and as an added benefit, you can meet with one of our wealth coaches. And what they're going to do is they're going to crunch your numbers. I always say, like, if you went into the hospital or if you went into a doctor's office, they're going to put you on the scale and they're going to take a blood pressure reading. That's what we're doing. We're going to look at your net worth. We're going to look at your infinity net worth. We're going to look at your income spread. And we're going to take a look at the diversification of your assets. If you're high net worth, we're probably going to have you work with a financial planner who's going to do those things and look at it. If you're just getting started, you work with our regular coaches. If you're mid-level, you work with our regular coaches. They're excellent. And all we're trying to do is say, hey, how can we make sure that nobody uh, hits their head on a crossbeam on the investing side? We don't need to learn that way. We can learn from everybody else. So the Infinity Investing book is absolutely free. And uh, if I'm a platinum member, can I get the PDF without the sales funnel stuff I'm already doing? Yes, Bryson. This is literally, you're going to get the book. And if you want to do a wealth planning, they're going to send you a calendar link if you want to. And that's it. It's a, uh, it's an invitation. You don't have to do a coaching session, although I like the coaching because I teach the coaches and, uh, and that's fun. Somebody says, do we get a link for the infinity copy? She just sent it. So take a look. Tax Tuesday, 200. You'll get it. And then, uh, before the end, we are going to pick three winners that submitted questions and, uh, the three lucky winners will get copies of TaxWise, Fourth Edition, and Infinity Investing, uh, the hardbound books signed by me. You should sign them too, even though you didn't write them. That'd be kind of fun. Jeff and Toby, because then nobody has a Jeff signed book. No. That'd be very unusual. I think we'll do that. Because Jeff has to 
sit here and deal with these shenanigans over the years. It's a lot of fun. All right, here we go. We got more. Two questions. We fix and flip luxury homes and are thinking about keeping some to rent. We have held some in the past. We have an LLC, but the accountant is saying go to an S-Corp. We are setting up. Let's answer that one first. What do you say there? I'm going to disagree with your accountant. I don't like property and an S-Corporation. I'm okay with it if I'm just flipping the property. But if it's investment property, I prefer not to put it in the S-Corporation. And and so it's here because it says we fix and flip. And I'm thinking of some, keeping some to rent. The problem is if, if it goes into the S-Corp, getting it out is a taxable event. Mm-hmm. Even if you take it out to refi it, it's a taxable event. So let me give you some advice that you're not going to get from your account. I would put it in a land trust and I would have an LLC that is either taxed as a partnership or is disregarded to you, depending on your tax situation. And, uh, or if you have a holding entity, it makes it even easier. But I would have it to where it flows down to your return on your Schedule E. And then I would have a second entity, an LLC, taxed as an S-corp for the flippers. And the reason I would do it this way is because we just basically have at one point, usually 10 months, nine months, what is it, nine, 10 months after the uh, end of the year, you'll have to tell the IRS what your decision mm-hmm. is and make a firm decision as to which entity it is. Until that point, if I have it assigned to the wrong entity, I can fix that. Nobody's the wiser. It's not in a public record. And it just makes it so much more flexible for me in case I want to keep that property. So if I start off flipping and I'm like, oh, shoot, I really want to keep this one. I don't have to go through and reinvent the wheel. I can just go ahead and cancel that assignment that from the land trust, the beneficial interest. I can assign that to the correct entity and make sure that it's sitting in the correct entity when I file its taxes. Is it illegal, immoral, or unethical to put it in the S-corporation? No. It's just, I don't feel it's wise. If you're flipping, I'd put it in the S-corporation. I'd put it in the S-corp. Because it's dealer property. You don't get all the benefits of the, and I want to make it easy for the IRS to distinguish. Here's property that I bought to sell. Here's property that I bought to hold. And if you're vacillating between it, it's when you file your tax return that you're declaring your intent. So we want to make sure that we do it and give ourselves the option. Question number two is, We're setting up a family trust in Florida and watched your video about trust in Wyoming. The attorney says we don't need uh, Wyoming. Uh, When I read this question, I kind of felt like you were getting your trust mixed up because typically a family trust is going to be an irrevocable trust, whereas the trust we're talking about, the Wyoming statutory trust, is revocable trust, a grantor trust, uh, so forth, that doesn't have the same consequences as an irrevocable trust does. Florida didn't recognize the irrevocable asset protection trust up until this last year. Mm. So what I would say is this is a family trust. And Jeff, you're absolutely spot on. If it's an, when I see family trust, I either think living trust or is this something that's an irrevocable trust that's set up holding it. If it's a living trust, grantor trust, then your accountant's right. You don't need Wyoming. There's no reason. Frankly, in Florida, you don't really need the LLCs either, uh, you, especially a debt on a property. The dog stamp fees apply to an LLC, but in a land trust, it does not. And land trust have a statute in Florida that protects, give you protection just like an LLC. And Florida is the home of the Olmstead case where they pierced a single member LLC anyway. So like, we tend to be like, hey, you know what they didn't pierce? <laughs> the land trust. Because it's pretty clear that this is you know, like there's there's no other remedy, but we generally take that land trust beneficial interest and assign it out of state anyway. We want to get it away from Florida, so there might be a happy medium here. But if you're doing a family trust, I guess the question to ask is: Is it irrevocable? Is it something where you're trying to avoid the estate tax, so you need to have a third party trustee, or is this you're using it for some other purpose? Like we, that, there might be something we don't know, and I would be happy to help. If you can get the answer to those questions, because we'll make sure that uh, uh, that we take a look at it. And yeah, we could certainly help you with that. You could reach into us. That's one of the things that we would do in a in a uh, primary review too. Like I'm not, I don't care if you're a paid client. If you just come in, and we we could help you get some uh, some direction on that. It's a courtesy. All right, let's go. What is the best way to pay children who actively help and are fixed flips bookkeeping? Is there an age limit or other qualifications? Must they live at home? My my daughter just turned 18 and is going to be attending college, but will still be helping on our properties. I have C-Corp. Do I need to somehow get the girls 
up as employees and set up payroll. What say you? I actually prefer to pay out of the C Corp because they're supposed to be managing your your properties. Um, and it really doesn't matter for the 18-year-old. However, if you have younger children and you want to avoid employment taxes, they need to be paid out of a sole proprietorship or a partnership. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if that's the case, and then again, they're living at home, the 18-year-old doesn't matter. She, she's just an employee. But anybody 17 and under, they need to be living at home and being supported by their parents and so forth. So you have that mix going on. Mm-hmm. And if that's the case and they're being paid out of a partnership or a sole proprietor, you don't pay any FICA, Medicare, and certain other tax unemployment. Yeah. So the only reason I, th- I see here that it's a C-Corp probably because they're doing flipping. Mm-hmm. So, it's a, so it's not investment. It's, it's trader business. Daughter that's 18 going to college. I think you're going to have to put her through payroll. But the beautiful part is she's not going to pay tax on $13,850 at a minimum. That's the, the standard deduction. So she'd have a little bit of employment tax. It's not huge. It's, uh, when it all comes down to it, it's about 14%. But if you're paying her more, you could actually jam a bunch. Like you could put 13850 into a Roth 401k, believe it or not, and pay zero tax. I'd be doing that. You, you do that for a few years and the retirement's already done. Like when you do the math on it, it's pretty crazy. But if you want to put more in there, like if you're saying, hey, she's working, she's making $30,000 a year, you could probably get a substantial chunk of that. I know that you could get at least 22500 of it directly into a 401k and, and write it off and not pay tax on it. You'd have the employment tax only, which is going to be a peppercorn compared yep. to the total amount, that, the, the tax savings. Over the next 60, 70 years, as that money grows, it's just going to be mind-boggling. You just let that money compound. Put it in ETFs, put it in dividend stock, let it just compound, give it time, and that thing, that cake is going to be so big and juicy when your daughter is is getting older. And she'd be able to use some of those funds, like to buy a house and things like that. There's some ways to get monies out without penalties. But uh, to the extent that you guys can do this, do it. There's another way that I did this with my daughter when she was going to college is I set up a separate company. I was the manager of it and she was the member. And then I used that whenever she did activities for different businesses. I always used her for social media. So I, I didn't control her schedule or anything like that. I said, here's what you have to do, just like I would any other contractor. And then I paid it and it all flowed down to her return. In her case, it was a Schedule C because she wasn't really making any money at the end of the day. She had zero tax on almost every year because she'd make 10, 12,000 bucks and uh, free, free money. We put it right into retirement plan. So it works. So let's say this young lady, she's 18 and she's starting college. Mm-hmm. So she's going to college full time and she's working part time for her parents. Mm-hmm. Do you change what she's doing? Do you pay her more and then have her pay her own tuition or? Yeah. So the, it's, it's always the thing. Like if when a parent is paying for their children's expenses and you're paying it with your after-tax dollars, mm-hmm. you're paying a substantial amount of money. I use 10,000 bucks. If I'm paying 10,000, I probably had to make about 15,000. I paid state, federal, social security, Medicare. When you add it all up, it's about, according to the tax foundation, right around 29, 30%. So I had to pay a $5,000 hit. If I paid the child and let them pay the tuition directly, I save 5,000 bucks. But I'm kind of of the mind like, hey, you know what? I'll still go ahead and pay the tuition. I'll take that little hit and that $5,000 is going to seem like a peppercorn if I can get money into a Roth and into a 401k. If I got, let's just say that it was $6,000, $6,500 you got into a Roth. The compounding on that over the next 70 years is going to be ridiculous. And if we could do that every year just for five or six years, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but there's a good chance you just made her a millionaire. If all you did is fund it and then lost the password, for, you know, forgot it, <laughs> let's say that. Um, but if you did covered calls, did a sector rotation on your ETFs, just listen to Eric in the infinity realm. If you go into 360, like, you know who Eric is. He runs our advanced trading room. It's really awesome. But it's three days a week. They go in there and they'll, you can go in there and say, hey, what should I do with this money? And they'll show you sector rotation on ETFs. So they'll show you. Here's an easy way to play the SPY to make a little bit of extra money. And if that's all you did is just went in there once in a while, a bunch of people are already giving the thumbs up and the confetti for, for Eric because he does such a great job. It's really straightforward. We don't do crazy option trade. We want to be the casino. We want to make sure that you protect your principal, 
but that you don't just leave it there for free. We want to rent it. And rental in the stock market is covered calls. And so we show you guys how to do that. Somebody says, do we need to set up the girls as employees and as payroll? Here's the other beautiful part. You get your daughter. Let's say that uh, Jeff's daughter is working for his C-Corp. Daughter needs this to work for the company, right? Especially if you're doing social media or bookkeeping in this case. And you said, hey, can you do the books remotely? I I won't control when you do it because you're at school. You can be doing it at night. You can be doing it early in the morning, whatever. Um, And you sit there and now you can reimburse for the cell phone, for the computer, everything, and it's tax-free. So now you're starting to write stuff off that's 100% tax-free because she's an employee. That is another trade-off. So you start looking at those things and you say, what's the best route to go? And the answer is always going to be kind of, it depends. I hate to say that, but you're going to say, all right, what are the expenses? Is she like a new MacBook every year type person? Does she have the, you know, what, what type of degree? Maybe it's engineering. You're, you're using far more uh, robust computer equipment, things like that. Can it be used for the business? Because the business can write that off. And then you get it. Somebody says, that's a study out by Fidelity that shows exactly that Toby. Day traders lose money and people who do the best are the people who don't t- touch their accounts. Yeah, there's 79 different studies that were out of Schwab that did all these things. And the, the big one was out of uh, Taiwan, uh, where they 98% of the day traders over a 15-year period lost money, which is scary. Uh, and that's been my our experience. We yeah. saw about 80% losing. Yes. And I don't know, like I... You say that to traders and they're always saying, well, it's because you're doing it wrong or you're not following the rules. And I'm like, okay. I, I have a little bit of issue with people who think that they're smarter than the supercomputer who was doing the calculation constantly. They already know what you're going to do before you do it. Before you touch this, it's going, I know you're going to do that. You're like, well, maybe I'll do this. So I, I knew you would do that next. But what about this? Yeah. So Goldman Sachs had a perfect trading year when they didn't lose money any trading day. That's all you need to know. That's who you're going up against. So I always say like, hey, you learn to dribble and you get on the court and you're in front of the NBA. Like you, mm-hmm. got, you got King James there in front of you, you know, uh, LeBron James. And he says, let's do some one-on-one. And you're like, I learned how to play basketball and you dribble up there and you think you're, because you learned how to do a hook or something that somehow you're going to be able to compete with him. And he's going to smash you. His whole goal is like basketball, basketball, basketball. That's what you're going up against with when you're day trader. How do we get there? Stop. I have no idea. Stop. Somebody ask a question. I know. Uh, let's get out of this one. Okay. There's more questions, but somebody is talking about it. All right. If you're wondering why we're going long, it's to make you wait to find out who the winners are. Oh, did we go long? Oh, shoot. All right. This is the last question. My fault. I under any. I understand anyone can gift to anyone in any year an amount not to exceed $17,000 per person. Can I gift from a family limited partnership units not exceeding that amount? Giving them a percentage of the LP units each year does annual gifting under the $17,000 Limit, avoid the generation skipping tax if gifted to grandchildren, nieces, nephews, et cetera. This was a really good question. Um, it's 17,023. I don't expect it to go up next year because uh, it's taken a couple jumps recently. Um, I, I will correct one thing. You don't gift from the LP, the family LP. You gift from your interest in the LP. So I could give Toby a portion of $17,000 worth of my uh, entity. Uh, you could do two ways. I could give money to somebody from the LP and it would flow through onto my return. Every, all the limited partners, that's a problem. Like if the LP gives them something, it's the same as the partners giving something mm-hmm. in proportion. Or I could give Jeff $17,000 of LP units. So if it's mom and dad and they got a couple hundred thousand dollars in an LP, they could give a portion that represents $17,000 to each of their kids, right? So you could just, you go, you you go nuts. I'm going to give seventeen thousand dollars here, seventeen thousand dollars there, seventeen. If you wanted to give more, you can. It's just now you have to file a gift tax return, and it goes against your lifetime exclusion amount, which this year is twelve thousand nine hundred and fifty bucks or something like that. It's, it's or mm-hmm. uh, twelve million nine hundred fifty thousand. Twelve, like almost thirteen million dollars, you can give away tax free per spouse. Now, generation skipping tax is if it's 37 and a half years, if somebody is 37 and a half years younger than you and you're giving, then you're going to use your lifetime exclusion against that. What they don't want is you to give it to a grandchild Mm -hmm. and skip a generation. The IRS wants to tax each generation. They want to hit you. So they're like, ha ha, 
I'm, I'm going to use that against these people. It's all it is. But if you're just giving 17,000 a year, you don't have to worry about any of that. None of it. None of it. You get a big, you get a big win. So now I'm going to put one caveat caveat on it. If your family LP has any hard to value assets in it, you're going to have to get them valued every time you give a gift Yep. to see how much of that in, how much of that. Unless you're just doing raw. Like if you have fair market value that you could ascertain and you're not taking discount valuations, we used to get nutty on discount valuations. When estate tax exclusion was 600,000, we would get nutty. And then everybody's fighting because you're just trying to get it. Like you'd get nine, uh, 48% discounts on assets, trying to get them to somebody else so you didn't get killed in taxes. Minority interest and so forth. And- <laughs> just a problem I want. Honey, I gave away 13 million. Can we uh, have to gift it under your name? Yeah, that's, a, that's, a, that's gonna be a hell of a conversation, Craig. <laughs> uh, here, let me, I know this one. This is uh, for that conversation. <laughs> All right. Hey, I was just glad I didn't get any buzzers for wrong answers. I could do that. I don't know what it would be. Wrong answer. Oh. All right. So uh, you should never have given me this. <laughs> I'd start making my own sound effects here in a second. All right. So uh, you could go to YouTube and you could see recordings of this. But what we really want to do is give away books. Speaking of giving away, you, we give away virtual events and we have live events here in Vegas that's coming up in September. I think we just talked about that a minute ago, so I'm not going to belabor it. And I'm going to ask, yeah, I didn't even think about that. Rest in peace, Bob Barker, a World War II naval, naval aviator and a lover of animals, for sure. I think that's the one thing people never really understood was, gosh, he was always talking about spay and neutering and Mm-hmm. Till you see, like, you just, you just hate to see animals suffer. And uh, I was just in uh, uh, the big island of Hawaii where they have feral cat issues. They have about half a million cats. They don't know what to do. It's really sad. It's like you need to spay and neuter. Or they're just going to take over. And uh, you can't feed them anymore. Clint, my partner, likes to feed the cats. You can't do that anymore. Something, somebody says, so you can give up to $12 million, but only $17,000 a year. Someone's going to answer that. You can do $17,000 a year per person per recipient. So husband and wife each could do 17,000. You don't have to report it. You go above that, you're using up your lifetime exclusion. So if you have questions, you can always send them in at Tax Tuesday at Anderson Advisors. And uh, we want to go over our giveaway winners. In the meantime, you guys get free stuff. You get the free Infinity Investing ebook. And then uh, there are three people. Do you have the names? Perfect. Hardcover book winners. Can we get somebody in here younger to read this? Yeah, I don't know if that one does it. All right, number one, David Heisel. I don't know if I pronounced that right. H-I-S-E-L. Congratulations. You are a winner. Oh, drum roll. Alicia Thomas, number two. And Kevin Polk. So we have Alicia. Oh, did I screw it up? Alicia Thomas, Kevin Pope, and David. I screwed up David's last name, Isil. And I uh, just want to say congratulations. Thanks for being on. Thanks for some Pope. I, I, it says Pope, Patty, P O P E, like uh, Catholic. You need some applause. You need some applause. <laughs> yes. And so we will sign up. We'll sign some books, get those sent out, and uh, we'll make sure. So. Uh, we will make sure that we get that out to you guys. Then thanks again for joining us for our 200th episode of Tax Tuesday. Crazy. And uh, I got to say a big thank you. I got to say thank you to Jeff. I got to say thank you to Ronnie Withhager, who did these. I want to say thank you to Kurt. I want to say thank you to Elliot. And I'm trying to think, I think even Mike Bowman has done these over the years with me. Mm. I remember doing one in Hawaii with Michael. And, and I, I was going to, he was, he was, he wanted the questions ahead of time. I was going to pick all new questions. I was just going to mess with him, but uh, I didn't because that would be very, very mean, <laughs> but, oh, I should have. Oh, I should hilarious. I should have. <laughs> I would have seen him sweat. You, if you guys know Michael, he would have just, he would have been so mad. It would have been fun, but he's awesome. So I just want to say thanks again. 200 episodes isn't something to shake a stick at. It takes a lot of years and a lot of dedication. And, and again, this is not a paid event. So it's everybody's 
donating time. So you had Jen, Matthew, Kenny, uh, Dana. Let me see if I could go through a list of people that are on right now answering your questions. Dutch, uh, Elliot, Jared was on, Russ, Sergey, Sergey, awesome, Troy, and uh, who else did I miss? Uh, I think that's everybody that's on right now. But there's 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 folks that come on and answer questions, and that always rocks. When will this re- uh, recording be available? Erica, we're going to send that out usually within a week. Mm-hmm. Uh, but more importantly, we'll probably send you guys out uh, that link again to make sure that you guys are getting a free copy of your ebook, Infinity Investing. And if you're wondering, hey, is it different than what is actually sold on internet uh, or sold on Amazon for the, the 29 bucks? No, it's the exact same thing. We're just giving it away in the, in the free coaching session. So you can sit down with those folks, with David, with Chris, with Rob and Tate. Those guys do a fantastic job and we can make sure that, uh, especially in this economy, that you're not doing anything crazy and that you're getting a good second opinion sometimes or getting led down the right path because there's so much crap information out there. We've been through this. We've been through a number of recessions and we've watched what works and what doesn't. Follow us. We'll make sure that you stay out of the out of harm's way and there's going to be lots of opportunities. We just know it coming in the future. So anyway, thanks again. And, uh, and we will see you guys on the next Tax Tuesday in a couple of weeks. Good luck to you guys. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Show notes for links to everything mentioned in this episode can be found on our website at andersonadvisors.com slash podcast. Be sure you subscribe to our podcast. And if you are already a subscriber, please provide us a review of what you thought of this episode. 